The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, here's Dr. G. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in to Leadership Matters. I'm Cheryl G., your host for the hour. And with me today is Mike Burns. Mike is a partner with BWB Solutions that's located in Bradford, Connecticut. Mike, it's great to have you on the show. Well, thanks. Nice being here. Yeah, Mike has actually worked in the nonprofit sector for, what, over 30 years, Mike? Yep, 30 years. Okay, and I know that I know you, and I think you were referred to us because of your expertise in providing planning and management advice to organizations that are striving to achieve both financial and social goals. You do a lot of uh, strategic and business planning and board management. Is that correct, Mike? That's right. That's our specialty is uh, particularly around getting folks to make decisions about what they're facing and where they want to go and how to get there. Okay. Well, I really appreciate your willingness to join us and engage in this dialogue on how our nonprofits can really meet the challenges that they're facing today and be able to survive and maybe even thrive amidst these challenging economic times. Um, a lot of turbulence and changes happening. Oh, there certainly are. Uh, I think... Uh, you know, everyone's experiencing it, and I think we're we're kind of seeing the the, the, the large nonprofits being challenged uh, as much as the, the little itty bitty ones. And yet, still, there are folks who are out there doing it well and succeeding and surviving. And um, you know, I suppose they're they're to be they're to be uh, recognized and honored as well as the folks who've been able to hang in for all this time and. Probably through you know many more years than even I've been alive. Mm-hmm. So, Mike, if you think about maybe uh, those that have not survived, any trends that you've noticed with regards to nonprofits that have not been able to um, withstand the um, test of our economic woes? Well, I think like 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 business, like any business, which a nonprofit is, it just uh, you know a nonprofit is a business, and it's. Its resources, though, are not used to benefit the owners, the board, but it's used to benefit the greater community. And so, like any business, it has to be uh, uh, mission-driven. It has to have uh, a theory of change, a fundamental belief that what it's doing will make a difference in some some way in the community, and it, it must be results-focused, and at the same time must have some some clear understanding of, of uh, its strategy and how it wants to pursue that strategy. And so uh, nonprofits that aren't making it, of course, are probably first uh, visually challenged by uh, the lack of resources, the, the struggle competitively to go and get a donor or uh, a foundation to give its money to them. But 
foundations which have lost money in the last several years, like many folks, uh, have seen their assets depleted, have less money to give, and so there's more competition. And those who survive, maybe because they know folks, but maybe also because their results are those that are valued by the funder, um, those are the folks who make it. So again, being result focused and being, uh, you know, having a clear theory of change, a clear understanding of how you want to get there, what outcome you want, uh, and then having a good, strong internal uh, capacity to do that, management to do that. Uh, those are those are things that are valued by funders, and those are uh, elements that, um, when they're all aligned, a, a nonprofit can succeed. Nonprofits that that don't do that, aren't able to do those, have those components, they aren't going to make it. Uh, keeping the eye on the prize really is, really counts in this business. Okay. So what else, Mike, if you really kind of think about, and, and maybe we can go in, in either direction with regards to um, other things that you're seeing as relates to trends of those who are surviving or maybe suggestions that you have that can... Um, be some things that nonprofits can really um, look at in leadership. Those in leadership positions can really kind of take to heart and begin to think about as they're strategizing moving forward during these times. Well, I, I think first I'm, I'm very aligned with Jim Collins, uh, who wrote The Good to Great, and, and Peter Drucker, and uh, Phil Kotler, uh, who is the big marketing guru in both the nonprofit and for-profit sectors, that say that that you got to do what you do best. Uh, you want to be focused. You want to be clearly aligned. And I think groups that aren't able to understand their customer, understand their customers' needs and wants, who who maybe put the institution's desires above uh, the the customer. They're going to go awry and they're not going to succeed. Mm-hmm. I, I think also, though, we probably begin completely, uh, and I think this is a um, struggle within the sector. The question is, uh, is, it, is it a really strong executive director that makes or breaks a nonprofit, or is it a really strong board that makes or breaks a nonprofit, the you board, know, the nonprofit we... volunteers? Mm-hmm. Right. Before we kind of go there, I think that's an interesting um, piece to kind of think about, uh, mm. the um, executive director or president and CEO versus the board. I want to go yep. back to what you were saying with regards to nonprofits that really understand their customers. Sure. What would be some strategies, what would be some mechanisms that um, that those who are working within the nonprofit can put into play so that they really are in tune with what their customers need? Well, one of the fundamentals, of course, is to ask their customers, to talk directly to their customers, not to presume that uh, the services you're providing are the services that match the customer's need or want. Uh, you have to talk to the customer. And not only do you talk to the customer who's in your door, uh, and we assume, we often assume in the nonprofit sector that the customer who comes to the nonprofit doesn't have any other choice. Well, that's not true. Uh, the customer does have other choices, and one of those other choices is actually not to show up at all. Uh, so I think one is to ask the customer who comes to the door, and then also to get out there and find the customer who's not coming in the door and ask them, what is it that they really need or want? What do they value? How do they perceive you, the institution? How do they perceive what you're offering? These are fundamental marketing management questions, but they're also fundamental survival questions for a nonprofit that wants to be uh, results-focused and effective. 
Okay. Uh, again, right. talk and, to the customer. Right. And, and so uh, that term, um, as relates to nonprofits, and we're thinking about customers, and we're thinking about um, consumers, users of the nonprofit services, who do we define the nonprofit customer as? Is it the person that's coming through the door that, that is being provided the services, or is it the person who's funding the services? Is it both? I mean, what's your, your framing when you think of who the customer is for the nonprofit organization? Uh, the, the, the customer is both uh, to one degree or the other. That is, both of them are essential to achieving mission, to getting to results. I have to understand the needs and wants of the funder. I have to understand the needs and wants of my user, my service user, my service beneficiary. Uh, but, of course, I'm providing different benefits, different results to each of them. And so in many ways, though, the funder wants the same thing that you want. The way the funder becomes my customer is me identifying the funder who actually shares the same values and the same basically theory of change as I do. And so in essence, instead of a, instead of a customer, I would liken the funder more to a partner, someone who's got the same goals, same mission, while the, the customer we share is actually the, uh, the individual who is the beneficiary. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a, a, a yes to both. They're both customers, but, but in a different ways. Uh, again, the funder is a, a partner. And my job, though, to make them effective, efficient partners is to understand their needs, that is, the funder uh, versus the customer. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for kind of peeling that back a little bit for us. I think you were headed into um, some distinctions and some discussion with regards to the executive director's role or the CEO president of that nonprofit's role versus the board. You want Mm -hmm. to elaborate a little bit on that? I think you were headed there. Well, the governance, the, the governance function, this is the volunteer leadership, the board. These are folks who, who come with a passion, a mission, an understanding in their own minds of the theory of change of the mission. They are the folks who are legally, fiduciarily, financially responsible for the, for the well-being of the institution. But they don't drive the organization on the day-to-day. They are the big-picture, long-range uh, accountability folks. They want to make sure that the resources that are within the institution are used appropriately, are used effectively, and, again, produce results. It's the management, though, that make the effectiveness side, or rather the efficiency side. Their their job is to figure out how do I best use the resources I've got? How do I best help get resources to make a a difference, to make uh, the results that the board defines they most value? So board and staff may be partners, board and management staff may be partners in the degree that one brings the expertise, one brings the passion, and together they figure out uh, how do we get uh, to the results. Mm -hmm. But on the day-to-day, management figures out exactly who does what, when, where, and how, while the board is back there to support that management and make sure that management gets the resources they need Mm -hmm. and the guidance they need to uh, see to getting those results. So partners but with unique roles and uh, important ownership degrees because the board also represents the interests of the public as a tax-exempt organization. So uh, I think those are the differentiations I make. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. I can appreciate that. And, and um, in a few minutes here, we're going to be 
getting ready to go to break, and then after the break, I'll be interested in kind of having us talk a little bit more about the boards. Um, When we come back from break, Jenny Furman is going to be joining us and talking a little bit about her organization and what they've done to uh, really survive and thrive and move forward during these uh, challenging times. So, Mike, I want you to stay with us because we'll have you rejoin us um, after the break and then after Jenny has... um, given us some information regarding what she's doing to uh, support her organization in moving forward. So we're going to be going to break. I'm going to ask those of you who are tuned in, thank you so much for joining us. Please continue to be with us as we uh, transition to break and then come back to continue our dialogue with uh, Jenny Furman from uh, coming actually to us from the Alpert Jewish Family Community Center in West Palm Beach, Florida. And Mike Burns, who's with us from Connecticut. Stay tuned. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or email G at dr.g at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Are you ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owners Show with your coach, Rick Carrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owners Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. If you're looking for creative ways to improve your bottom line, tune in to Make Your Move with Alan Bolio. Alan's proven track record of helping businesses enhance their profitability will provide the basis for a forum about actionable items based on a business person's perspective. The program will be business talk, but with an economic context, so you'll know how to stay ahead of the game. Make Your Move is broadcast live every Monday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to dr.g at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. Hey, thank you for joining us back. We have with us now Jenny Furman. Firmer, Jenny, I'm saying your last name incorrectly. Say your last name for us, correct? Furma. 
Thank you. And Jenny is the Associate Executive Director at Alpert Jewish Family and Children's Services and the Jewish Residential and Family Services in West Palm Beach. Jenny, you've been there how long? Twenty, Going on 25 years. 25 years. So you've seen a lot in your years working in the nonprofit arena. Anything, yes. <clears throat> anything like we're experiencing these days? Um, different kinds of challenges. I think what we're experiencing these days is, is really quite unique. Um, in so much as Florida is in a very different place than it was, you know, during the dot-com era and right after that. So we're much more heavily populated, and whereas at one time we were kind of considered to be rural, when you think of southeast Florida now, if anyone's been down here, we're development after development, and um, in Palm Beach County, almost... uh, Almost 50% of all residents are over the age of 60. Wow. So how are you meeting the new demands, and how are you doing so in the midst of our challenging economic times? Well, in times of limited resources, one of the things that we've turned to are natural resources. Um, I'm sure boomers wouldn't like to think of themselves called that way um, or described that way, but we've really been able to build organizational capacity by engaging boomers. And some older adults, people you know who are who are older than boomers, just older than boomers, and so we've developed a number of different programs, and one of them, for example, is our ambassador program. Um, again, I have to describe Southeast Florida in terms of its developments. There are many older adult developments, and people have aged in communities. So, what was a very new, fresh community 30 years ago is now an old, old community with people in their 80s and 90s, but younger boomers have moved in, and so we kind of engage them into building capacity within the organization, and they serve as liaisons to that community, to services. Um, It's kind of soft sell, if you would think about it that way. Uh, We don't always know who the end user is, and it was interesting hearing Mike talk about the customer, because we don't always know who the customer is until they actually are connected, joining the dots to the organization by a liaison ambassador. But meanwhile, we're getting the word out. I think more and more as organizations, we're needing to do the outreach because um, like a nonprofit like we are, um, that is not state-funded, and some of that is by choice over the years, the same way we saw many of our other organizations that were providing a lot of counseling and therapy actually go under when HMOs moved in in the 80s. Mm, right. Is We chose not to go that route. We've continued to find other alternate ways. So the ambassador is one way. Um, another way is we developed... Before you leave the ambassador, yeah. let me ask you, how did you go about engaging the boomers? What did you do to actually get them engaged? Well, it's a civic engagement model. But it's really social work, kind of one-on-one community organizing. It's being able to be on the ground. It's being able to uh, engage people, understand what their talents are, what they bring, um, the gifts that they bring, how they want to use those gifts. The old model of engaging volunteers and saying, here's some job descriptions, look through them, see what interests you, and then we'll talk, just doesn't work anymore. We find that boomers really have different ways of wanting to be engaged. So how do you get in front of them? How do you actually get them to your door? Or how do you get to We don't door get them, them through our door. I think so, that's a really important model, right. so, uh, so you know, concept. We so go where you, they are. Okay. And where so, have you found them? We have found them primarily in their own communities. It's kind of, you know, the, the concept... Um, 
although it conjures up different images than I would like, but the embedding mm-hmm. of someone in a community, it's actually having someone on the ground, what we used to call our volunteer coordinator, we now call community engagement coordinators, mm-hmm. having them on the ground, even being at the clubhouse, engaging people in conversation, understanding what their needs are, what they would like to do. Um, some need to go back to work, and so we created, and it's, it's related, so I'll stay with the ambassadors, but just tell you that it's related. We now have engaged people who need to work in our enhanced companion model. So it's boomers helping more frail seniors, and we were able to pay them mm-hmm. because we can charge fees. So it's understanding really kind of where people are at. It's a lot of, there's no science to it, Dr. G. It's Mm -hmm. it's really about relationship building. Okay, good. And then, Jenny, you were going to move into some other things that you were saying that your organization is doing during these times uh, to kind of stay vibrant. What what would be some of those? Well, we've created sliding fee scales um, so that people who really cannot afford to pay for services, um, that's not a new concept. But what we have been able to do is do a slightly different way we fundraise to support those people. What would be some of those? Well, we're doing a lot more uh, parlor meetings. So we might find a volunteer who has, say, a particular interest in child psychiatry. And so one of the things that we're able to do is engage that volunteer and then involve them and say, well, would you be interested in getting 20 or 30 of your really good friends together, let us come and talk about child psychiatry. Let us talk about how it makes a difference in people's lives. Um, When it's appropriate, maybe we would have a parent come and talk about how our child psychiatrist has been able to impact the life of that child and therefore the family. And so 20 or 30 people together, if they all write out a check for $100, you're able to provide child psychiatry to maybe 15 or 16 children who otherwise might have been turned away. Great. Good. Any other strategies, Jenny, that comes to mind or approaches or things that you guys are doing that's helped out during these times? Um, I think some of it is longer term than we would like to often think of how to have a really quick fix. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just came out of a meeting to come talk with you where a sister organization in our local community struggling financially, and it's a little bit of what maybe Mike was saying as well, is how to create the leadership where you engage leadership of another organization, not for a business model acquisition or for a uh, kind of business model, even merger, but it really is looking for the common ground, the synergy between programs, because, excuse me, I think that as a Jewish Family and Children's Service Agency, we're sometimes battling against the perception that we're just for people who need charity. And so one of the strategies is how can we create synergy between other kinds of organizations, build coalitions, so that we enhance our capacity and open many more portals Mm -hmm. than we alone could do. So we have, for example, um, for-profit organizations. One is a home health agency. We have partnered. We have created protocols. It is not an exclusive relationship, but we have co-branded ourselves. 
they as a for-profit home health agency providing skilled care Medicare can get into hospital settings and doctor's offices in a way that we can't. Right. Mm -hmm. We, on the other hand, can get into libraries and we can go to non-profit kind of venues that would be hard for them as a private corporation for profit to get into. Mm-hmm. We can get into all these gated communities as a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. So we co-brand. Nice. Um, we're also in the process now of developing a private label. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Say a little bit more about that, de- developing a private label. How are you our, going about that mm-hmm. process? And our care management services, notoriously, um, I think as as it develops, is becoming more thought of, particularly since who's purchasing those services are, for example, boomers who are purchasing care coordination for their aging parents who live in southeast Florida. Mm -hmm. Again, one of the struggles that we have as an organization, and it's focused on survival. If we want to survive, we need to find more paying clients. Mm -hmm. And so by private labeling and creating a coalition with another care management company that focuses primarily on medical and their staff are primarily RNs, nurses, and we're primarily social workers, we have created a whole different way of thinking about and strategizing about how we can do outreach. Mm -hmm. So we just literally looked at the storyboard, kind of creating the collateral yesterday. Mm -hmm. We're meeting again in a couple of weeks to tweak some of the language. We're going to share the cost of investing in collateral, getting it out into the community, marketing it in such a way that the barrier of being, even if we were Lutheran services, they might be the same challenge. Mm -hmm. It's the perception of a nonprofit being a charity. And through private labeling and bundling of services and also strategizing how to market to um, the adult children mm-hmm. of older adults who live up north mm-hmm. and so sharing the cost of that as, as, the, as we develop a coalition is where we think you have to kind of think long term. The results are not going to be tomorrow or next, next year. Mm-hmm. So, Jenny, if you were to give um, any suggestions to... Uh, leaders that might be listening to our broadcast today and those who are responsible for for leading during this challenging time, what would be um, words of encouragement or words of suggestion or tips that you might want to leave them with? Opportunity knocks very softly. And if, as an organization, you are really listening, there, I believe, are many opportunities And I think an organization that has a strong mission and a clear vision will be able to hear those opportunities. And it's sometimes being open to and embracing a paradigm shift Mm -hmm. and saying, well, this is an unlikely partnership, but let's talk anyway and let's leave our egos at the door and let's talk about what each of these potential partners brings to the table. It's kind of like the ambassador model. Mm -hmm. It's really thinking outside the box, new thinking of let's not have preconceived notions and ideas. Let's just talk about who we are, what we do. Tell me about who you are and what you do. Is there common ground here? You know, with our egos out there, no one owns it. You create it together. Right. Well, Jenny, I so thank you for just taking the time out of your busy 
schedule today to join us and just share a little bit about what you're doing and suggestions about what others can do to uh, really survive and thrive during these challenging and changing times. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Dr. G. Yes, thank you. And we're going to take a short break, and when we return, we'll have Mike back on the line um, who will be kind of continuing to provide us with some suggestions on what could be done to really help organizations transition, hold on, break away, make wonderful strides during these times that are challenging. And yet, as Jenny just talked about, are also some opportunities um, kind of lurking out there that might be helpful to the communities and helpful to keeping those doors open. So, Mike, with uh, BWB Solutions, we look forward to having you back on the line when we return. And all of those who are listening, please continue to stay tuned to Leadership Matters. Thank you. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Get ready for an exciting and eye-opening hour every week on Globe Talk with Avisant. Join your host, Kevin Parikh, for an inside look at the world economy with a special focus on technology and its impact on humankind. We will invite the top industry experts to our forum and answer your questions, too. Globe Talk with Avisant airs live every Friday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or email Dr. G at dr.g at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to dr.g at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. Welcome back, and thank you for staying tuned into Leadership Matters. I'm your host, Cheryl G., and on the line with us today, we have Mike Burns, and Mike is here from BWB Solutions out of Bradford, Connecticut. Mike, thank you for staying tuned. 
Well, thank you, too. Yeah, we, we appreciate having you on and wanted to ask you, so hearing Jenny talk about some of the things that they're doing down there in West Palm Beach, anything come to mind with regards to things that you want to elaborate on or talk about that might be helpful for our listeners as they're preparing strategies to move forward during these challenging times? Well, absolutely. I, I, I wanted to, to latch on to a, a, a sort of framing uh, and some of the name-calling we can describe uh, what Jenny's doing. Uh, so that folks might think about this and maybe a little academic, but uh, that, first of all, one of the things that Jenny talks about is how she's reached into another population that was not uh, a population, the boomers, that not a population that would identify with her. But the way she's being effective about them is actually understanding what's called psychographics, and psychographics are lifestyles, and we translate lifestyles into our ability to provide an offering, uh, something that would excite them, uh, and in this case, boomers. And so by understanding the way a population group might say, I like this or I like that, and they practice that, they go out and they use their money and their resources to do X or Y, that's a psychographic description, which incorporates demographics and ethnicity and all kinds of other things, but mostly it's lifestyle and how they enjoy themselves or how they, they carry on. And, you know, you might think of the... Um, the consignment store as a lifestyle decision, or you might think of the little uh, mini-mart as a lifestyle because, you know, for the commuter, that's their way home. And so there's, there's examples of that. So Jenny is using psychographics really well. And I think the other thing is, is that, uh, as she's, she's noticed, in order to reach a different population, she's got to actually uh, repackage herself in the mind of the customer. Uh, and so she's going to do this differentiated pricing. She's going to do some different access issues. She's going to communicate differently, all reflective of the psychographic. And most importantly, she's selling a value proposition. She's saying to the customer, here's who we are to you as we understand you. Here's what we're having to offer you. And um, when you think of us and you compare your other choices of how you might spend your leisure time, of how you might spend your work time, we want you to think of us in this way uh, in relationship to your other options. That's called a value proposition and positioning. And so uh, directly and indirectly, Jenny is using those tools mm -hmm. to make sure that she is both relevant and meaningful to uh, a new customer base. And I think this is, a, this is a survival strategy that's really important. Great. And so if I'm a listener and I'm wanting to figure out how do I do that, how do I better understand my market? How do I better understand um, my value in relation to that market? What are some strategies? What are some approaches? What are some things that I can do to, um, to kind of nail that, to be able to then leverage the, um, the understanding gained from that process with regards to being able to have a, have a value proposition and be able to form uh, relationships that allow me to leverage maybe and get into different markets? But one of the most cost-effective and inexpensive tools that a, a nonprofit has is uh, its board, and uh, it, it it would have to reach out. And the, the the thing is here, a board member needs to be passionate, so it has to do some searching around, poking around for somebody who might look like the person they think they want to serve, and find that person and attract them to the board. And that person will then be a basic source of information to them about what's going on in the population they want to reach. So that's a free 
source of information, so to speak, free. Uh, they might also turn to academia. Academics are all the time working on this stuff. They're trying to understand what's going on around them. Ginny, of course, is in a market where there's lots of uh, colleges and, and universities, and so there's lots of academics who are around who can talk mm -hmm. to her about what's going on in different markets that she thinks she might want to reach. Mm -hmm. uh, that, again, is a low-cost approach. Um, she might also do some focus groups and attract some folks who look like the people she thinks she wants to reach and offer them something in exchange to get them in the room like pizza and have a, a, a sponsor uh, who they, that group, that target group is familiar with and bring them to the room and talk to them. Talk to them about what they like and what they don't like and what might turn them on and what might not turn them on and how they spend their time and all of that. And, and you get to learn about them and then you can design your strategy. So those are some of the quick things. And we also use things like SurveyMonkey, which is an online survey, but that presumes I've got access to emails uh, and I might, and I might be able to borrow from another partner who might be reaching that, and this is another strategy, which is I go and I look for another nonprofit or even a for-profit who's actually already in the market with that customer that I want to serve, and I work with them, partner, and see what I can offer as an exchange, and we together can go and learn more about that customer. So uh, it's research. Research is the answer. Uh, there's uh, applied and you know, uh, both secondary and primary research, research I do for myself, uh, research I dig up, or secondary research, research other people have already done, and I use that. And, of course, the federal government is the biggest uh, source of that kind of information with the census stuff coming out now all about us. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, um, Mike, I know that um, at the top of the hour, you and I were kind of chatting offline, and, and I know that there were three buckets of sets of things that you felt mm. like... Um, could uh, really be helpful to our listeners today. I know we've, we've um, maybe tapped into two of them. Um, I think that first bucket being, help me out here. Um, uh, the mission and theory of change. Yeah, And uh, understanding those. And then the second bucket being around governance and management, being outcome-focused and being passionate and outcome-focused. Mm -hmm. And then the third bucket is relationships that may be uh, permanent changes in who we are or may be uh, helpful steps in terms of making us more effective and making us more outcome-focused. And again, I can't emphasize the concept of results and outcome-focused enough that that's what survival is going to be about is being outcome-focused. If we're clear about outcomes, we're clear about what we need to get there, we will survive and we will bring others to the table with us who will want to survive and succeed. So. Uh, but let's say that resources are limited, let's say that, and, and we know they are, and let's say that I only can attract so many resources on my own. Uh, there are strategies like uh, creating partnerships, like Ginny has done, creating a partnership with another institution. I heard right, it was a for-profit, and um, that is a strategy. It doesn't threaten a nonprofit's tax-exempt status. It's a, it can be complementary. There's ways to make, make that work. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so there's partnerships. Now, in another scenario, you may find that there are smaller uh, organizations out there, and uh, they may have some resources that complement your resources, and maybe it's too hard for them to survive. You're a bigger organization, and the best next answer may be to say, let's, let's see what we can do to bring them on board. Maybe it starts with with a partnership work with uh, one project. Maybe it moves on to uh, perhaps... Um, some kind of uh, an acquisition where they become you, or maybe uh, which which is really much more um, 
top down, you, the institution, take over some other institution, or maybe it's a merger where the two organizations actually change who they are and become a new organization. But partnerships, acquisitions, mergers, these are all strategies that provide a win-win for both of the institutions, recognizing, of course, that, that each, you know, as you go along the continuum, along the spectrum of options, uh, you can have a larger impact or a lesser impact on both the board and the management, uh, and sometimes things like mergers and acquisitions don't really work well. If you have two equal execs sitting at the table, oftentimes those are best achieved when one of those folks is no longer going to be there, maybe because it's retirement, maybe because they, you know, any number of reasons. So uh, to get win-win, we want, which is meaning two groups who want to have the same outcome, we're looking at partnerships, we're looking at things we can do together that we both share passionately, that we both care about the same results, and maybe we bring something unique to the table. Acquisition, we go off and we say, you know, we're the stronger of the two. We're going to take over you, and maybe your board has to go away, but our board is passionate and they'll care for your resource as well. Or maybe it's a merger where the two institutions join together and they, they become a new institution and get out there and do the work uh, of, of achieving uh, mutual outcomes. So now, there's another, I, another whole different option. And before where, we go to a whole other different oh, option, let, before we go to a whole other different option, let me just ask sure. with regards to your experience in working with the mergers and acquisitions, um, and particularly during these times, what, what is the biggest challenge and uh, that um, that particular strategy might be faced with in order to have it be successful? There's, there's two big uh, 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 things that get in the way, things for a really technical term there. Uh, one is uh, culture. Uh, for sure, uh, faith-based groups uh, have a different culture oftentimes than a non-faith-based group, and putting them together is sometimes not as easy because what drives them in terms of defining outcomes is actually influenced by their culture, by their by the faith that drives them, by the uh, the motives that are behind each of them. Uh, so cultures, and and even the way they do business internally, uh, you know, sometimes a very structured institution versus a very informal institution. It, those kinds of differences may make it really difficult to bring two groups together. Uh, within that, of course, are the boards, and the boards themselves may have all kinds of reasons not to, quote-unquote, play together well. Right. And then finally, of course, the, really, the, if the first reason is culture, the second reason is often uh, management and or governance, that the two parties, well, in that case, it would be so four parties. Let me, we're talking um, two actually put a, I'm going to put a comma well. right there on that thought, mm-hmm. Mike, and then yep. have us pick up um, after the break and talk a little bit more about that with regards to the uh, management and leadership Styles, how they may or may not necessarily support that acquisition or merger um, kind of taking place. And then I know we had talked a little bit about social enterprises, but love to hear you talk a little bit about that as well when we come back after the break. Okay. Okay, so we're going to take a short break, and this is Cheryl G. My guest is Mike Burns, and we are talking about how do you survive, how do you thrive during these challenging economic times. So please stay tuned. We'll be back uh, shortly. Thanks, Mike. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. 
leadership. It's the big picture issues of the day, up close and personal capabilities of leadership, and a desirable future of constant renewal. Zoom leadership. It's the economic crisis made clear, patterns and perspectives of leadership, and the importance of changing the way we pursue our future. Join host John Schmidt every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Zoom leadership. An inside look at what's really going on in business, government, and civil society. Tune in every week on the Voice America Business Channel. When you are trying to establish your financial plan, there are all sorts of variables that you'll need to take into consideration, from the ever-changing economy and markets to investment risk and your own financial needs. How do you manage all of it to find a plan that will work for you? Tune in to The Insightful Investor with Bob Pugh. We'll help you iron it all out to help you stick to a financial plan with the knowledge that you need. The Insightful Investor is broadcast live Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or email Dr. G at dr.g at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to dr.g at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. All right. Well, we want to welcome everyone back. We are... um moving forward with our conversation on how do organizations continue to thrive and uh, survive during these challenging times. Our guest today is Mike Burns, partner with BWB Solutions out of Bradford, Connecticut. Mike, welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, no, before we went to break, I asked you to kind of put a comma in a thought, and I'm going to ask you to continue it. We were talking about some of the challenges that organizations face as relates to mergers and acquisitions. You said there were two big ones, and it was culture. And then leadership, and I kind of put a comma on the leadership. You want to say a little bit more about that? Well, the leadership one, of course, uh, is is almost equal to, if not more significantly, a, a challenge to getting a successful merger or acquisition or even a partnership. Partnerships are a little simple because there's not as much writing on it to the leadership, and particularly in partnerships, we don't need the boards engaged. In acquisitions and mergers, we often need the boards engaged, and so we get into personalities and we get into uh, – Issues that go well beyond uh, outcomes, right. okay. uh, and so process, so, good process, and uh, often a third-party uh, facilitator makes a big difference. Okay, well, great. And so I'm going to just put a probably a period on that piece, but look forward to maybe bringing you back and talk a little bit more about those two big challenges, because um, I know that those are things that our listeners certainly deal with. Um, 
on a regular basis with regards to when they're not in the midst of mergers and acquisitions, but certainly I see it being, um, becoming more compound um, during those times. I want to have us spend a little bit of time talking about a couple of things that you alluded to, and one with the shared um, services and the other being mm-hmm. social enterprises. Why don't we start with the first one with regards to thoughts on shared uh, services during these times? Well, certainly shared services are being viewed by funders in particular as a very effective a particularly cost-effective methodology for uh, getting folks to, in some sense, shed what what we might refer to as economic fat and uh, look to do things together. And examples would include uh, a group of folks that are in one building and they all have individual copiers. We probably only need one really good copier and uh, we can probably uh, reduce those costs for everybody. Similarly, computer You're talking systems. about people who are in the same building, but they have different organizations. That's right, in that sense. And, but, you know, we can do other things like a bookkeeper who might uh, take care of five or six organizations, and they all share the cost. Mm-hmm. Or uh, an audit firm, which, you know, some people might question on the auditing. But uh, there's a, this is the shared cost, shared service idea that says, look, we can save a lot more money and save a lot more time if we just work together and look at the stuff that we do identically to each other, not the service side necessarily, but the back room, what we call the back room support. And we can get that done without necessarily replicating each other and spending equal amounts of money, uh, but, but uh, you know, we, we're all spending the same amount of money. If we don't do that, we just share it, we'll reduce our costs overall. Okay, great. So. Thank you. And, and, Mike, can we spend a little bit of time now while we're um, transitioning and winding down our show on really um, thinking about this concept of social enterprises and how that yes. might be helpful during this time? Well, social enterprise, of course, is, is getting a lot of different definitions, but the primary one we're going to use for this conversation is revenue generation. And uh, social enterprise, whether it be doing something that is actually in-house uh, compatible, and like Jane was saying, she's is trying to do a, a fee structure, uh, revenue generating so that it offsets dependency on donations. Uh, that's one of the areas that we're looking at a lot today. It may be a survival methodology. The challenge, of course, is that if small businesses aren't making it uh, because there's no demand, you may be in the same situation. So you have to be really creative about what you can offer. Family service organizations have been stellar as being revenue generators, and so they are effectively using social enterprise as a method to survive. Um, and so it, this is basically how do we charge fees? How do we, that's one answer. The other is, of course, how do we become more business-like? How do we adopt good marketing strategies? How do we adopt good business practices and be more effective in our getting to outcome? So, Mike, any um, thoughts out there with regards to social enterprises that, um, that you're aware of that um, may be things that people are doing to, um, to, you know, to be successful outside of the, the example you just named? Well, uh, you know, there's a lot of folks that are trying to figure out, like, uh, thrift stores is a great example of a social enterprise. Not necessarily the most effective way to raise money, but it is a social enterprise. It gives you a lot of press and all of that. Uh, there are uh, ways to work with your 
specific customers, as we know, in the field of disabilities where folks get to maybe assemble printer cartridges. There used to be that before laser printers. And in the process, they sell the, the printer cartridges and they make some money. Uh, I've, I've heard of places that do light assembly and they take that up as working with their customers so the customers get some skills and uh, the skills and those folks then become uh, uh, marketable, more marketable. Uh, so there's a variety of both related and unrelated ventures that a nonprofit can pick up uh, as a way that possibly does um, it, it promotes mission, it generates revenue, and it actually supports customers. And that's a, that that win-win-win scenario that we try to create in a social enterprise. But the bottom line of social enterprises is it's very close to being uh, it's all close to being about mission. And uh, it has to support the purpose of a nonprofit. But if it works well and you're in a good market and it's demand-driven, uh, social enterprise will also generate revenue, which will offset the dependency on philanthropy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how might an organization go about um, researching their options, considering their options, determining what might be a social enterprise uh, viability for them or a viable option to explore? Um, I always start with getting a committee of folks together who are outsiders, uh, maybe people who care about my institution, but have them sit down and say, let's brainstorm with what you, the institution, do best, know best, who your customer is, and let's see if there's something that can fall out of that as a possible uh, revenue-generating, if we're thinking revenue-generating, social enterprise. And uh, that little committee can serve as both a knowledge base but also as a a revenue-generating idea group. And once that's done, then I have to do homework. I have a lot of homework to do, and, and I really have to encourage that folks need to do the research. They need to find who the customer is. They need to understand what the customer wants and needs. And based on that, they can then make the next decisions about whether they can make an offering, a product offering, that matches either who they, the nonprofit, is or that maybe a subsidiary or some other kind of structure will work uh, to attract the customer. We also know, though, that uh, as Jenny was saying, you know, maybe she didn't have an institution that was the that necessarily was identified as something that the customer she wanted to serve was going to be drawn to it. So instead, she relabeled and said, "Here's a service that we're offering. You don't have to see us as the provider." And so, uh, you know, that's another strategy. But the, my first step is let's get some volunteers together and think about what we do best. And, and try to shed the ownership I might have saying is what it's about, but getting a committee of objective people to be creative. Great. Well, Mike, thank you again for joining us. We so appreciate having you on the show today and look forward to having you back. And I also want to thank our team at Voice America Talk Radio Network, Innovisions, and Neighborhood House Association in San Diego, California, and all of our sponsors and listeners. We value and appreciate each of you, and we thank you for your support. Please uh, tune in next week at uh, 2 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time for more on ways that you, too, can make your leadership matter. Thanks again. This is your host, Cheryl G., saying have a wonderful week.
Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. G is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter. Thank you.